Hi, I'm Peter Schwing, and welcome to the Stories from the Run podcast and community. This is the show for the everyday runner, all about inspiring and sometimes humorous stories from your fellow runners. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to thank all our supporters for making this podcast possible. If you like what you hear, please slam that subscribe button or sign up on our website, storiesfromtherun.com. You can also join the Facebook community or follow us on Instagram through the links in the show notes. What made you start running? I'll put money down. It probably wasn't the same reason as our next guest who got into running for quite possibly the most humane reason. Also, if you're in the New York City area, you've probably seen him racing around in the cold, only wearing his leopard print shorts. And speaking of cold, I have a nasty one. So please bear with me. We're going to call this one hashtag hypothermia, hashtag humans of New York. Let's get to it. State your name and any club affiliation for the record, please. My name is Ben Chan, and I am a member of Brooklyn Track Club and a founding member of Clean Bad Decisions. Oh, hey, Ben. How are you? I didn't know you were a founding member. Good. <laughs> right. Sometimes I feel like I'm the only member. <laughs> <laughs> how are you? How was your week? Um, it's going well. I um, am uh, actually uh, experimenting with rejiggering my running schedule, uh, training for 100 miles. Uh, so, uh, but all's going well so far. Uh, what, which 100 miler are you looking at? Uh, the Great New York 100. Uh, the race is going to be on June 20th, and it goes around uh, four of the five boroughs in New York City. Uh, we don't hit Staten Island because um, there's no way to get to it without, uh, without, cross, without the ferry. Uh, so it uh, starts in Manhattan and uh, in Times Square, and we go run up to the Bronx and then uh, drop down to Queens and then run along the southern perimeter of Brooklyn and then end up back in uh, Manhattan. That, that seems to be turning into a really popular race. We just had uh, Lara Gonzalez as a guest, and she's she was mentioning that is her favorite race. And now it's turned into, I believe, a lottery system because it's become so popular. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's totally going up. So the first time I did this race was in 2016, I think, is the year that I that I did it, and I uh, uh, that was I think my second ultra, uh, and I did the hundred k version of the race, um, and yeah, it was still uh, just uh, wake up and apply, um, and but you can tell that it was growing, um, and then I've tried the hundred miler twice and uh, DNF twice, uh, and I think the first or second time that I DNF, uh, uh, I remember Lara being there on the on the course too. Uh, and I took a year off last year to volunteer at the race, uh, which is something I recommend everybody do, uh, the volunteering that is. Um, and so now I had guaranteed entry for, for this year. Oh, so, so you two know each other. And she, she also mentioned the, that the volunteers are fantastic. She's, she said the aid stations, it's like they would take requests on what you would like at the aid station. Yeah, it's it's incredible the the amount of care uh, that the volunteers put into this because it isn't like uh, it isn't like the roadrunners where um, people are volunteering because they're they're doing nine plus one and so they just want it. I mean, they want to volunteer, but they also want to get that credit. There's no credit for this. It's an unsanctioned race, mm-hmm. um, so you're not getting anything for this. People are coming out of their own pockets for the sort of aid stations, and um, I think uh, probably the one who who is uh, probably is 
the, the most well-known uh, is a woman, uh, also a Brooklyn Chat Club uh, member. Her name is Rita. And she goes all out making rice balls and all kinds of uh, cooked foods. And her state station is, I think, uh, it's in the arena at Flushing Meadows. Um, it's around mile 41, I think. And it's very dangerous because you actually, uh, it's very tempting to just stop there. <laughs> <laughs> so well stocked with such good food and, and everything. Uh, it's, it's really more of like a luxury station than an aid station <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's a it's a michelin star meal at an aid station <laughs> absolutely mm. yeah Yes, that's what it is. Yeah. So, so tell me, so, so you're doing hundred milers and you know, so how long have you been running and, and does this go back to high school? What were you like in high school? Were you active back then as well? Um, I wasn't running in high school. Uh, actually uh, what I was, I was a nerd in high school <laughs> and, um, <laughs> so I, I, I'm a native New Yorker born and raised in Brooklyn. Right on. Um, and the high school. And uh, I was uh, grew up in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and the high school uh, that I attended is Kingsborough High School. And if you know anything about the, ge- the geography of Brooklyn, it's basically you're going from the northwest corner of Brooklyn all the way down to the southeast corner of Brooklyn. So it took me uh, more than two hours to get to school every day. Uh, it's like two, two trains and sometimes two buses, sometimes uh, one bus. Um, so I wasn't really doing much in terms of extracurriculars. I was going to school and, and going home. Um, it was like uh, like about five hours of commuting every day just to, just to get back and forth from school. So I wasn't I wasn't a runner, um, and I wasn't uh, involved in athletics or sports as a kid because my parents um, they're immigrants. Uh, they're both um, refugees uh, from mm. uh, from China. And so they wanted me to, to, to study and I wanted to do sports, but they were like, no, you're not. And, and they probably were right uh, in trying to, to get me to study uh, because they, I think they recognized early on uh, that I don't have much of a talent. Um, so, so if I was going to get anywhere in life, it was because uh, using, using my brain. Um, so they didn't let me do literally. They didn't let me do the pop Warner football stuff. Um, I was just supposed to study. Um, and and, you know, as as I grew up, because it wasn't part of my life, um, I, I just it, sports was just something that I was uh, participating in as a as a spectator. Um, I would walk around a lot. I wasn't unhealthy, uh, but what really got me into running was, um, and this happened in uh, 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, I donated uh, one of my kidneys to a friend uh, who has diabetes uh, and he was experiencing early stage uh, kidney failure. Wow. And so I just decided uh, to get tested to see if we were a match and we were, uh, and I donated to him. And um, that, that's, that's just amazing. That, that is so wonderful. Uh, to, like how does what is the process of that? I mean, this is, you know, one thing I love about doing these podcasts is to just hear stories from people that you've seen. Like you and I, we we've met a few times. We've been on a run a few times. I've seen I've seen you around for years, but it's like you never really know about the person, and you can learn so much. So, what is the process of saying, "Hey, you know, I want to donate a kidney. Let's let's make this happen. How do we do this?" Um. So it's uh it's it's not uh, a decision that well it's it's not a process that's fast uh you have to go through a lot of testing and interviews so actually uh, let me let me rewind so um so when my friend he didn't actually approach me he um he well he he didn't actually ask me if I would donate to him he 
a coach me because we were both members of the Asian American Bar Association. Um, mm-hmm. He's been a criminal defense lawyer uh, for a long time, and I was still in law school at the time. And he uh, told me that he was, and he, he was a mentor to me. And he told me that he was going to approach the membership of the bar to um, let them know about his situation and uh, to ask if anybody was willing to uh, consider donating. Uh, and um, he was coming to me, just letting me know what he was going to do and uh, asking for my support. I said, yeah, of course, I'll support you. And uh, the more I thought about it, uh, I came to the conclusion that if I'm going to ask other people to do something, I should be willing to uh, do it myself. And so I decided to go get tested. And this was at the end of, at the end of 2011, uh, that I went and so they like take, um, they, they took some blood samples from me at the hospital where I got tested. And then, uh, I was expecting to hear back from the doctors, uh, within a week or something. And I didn't hear back from them. And so, um, so I had been planning, uh, end of the year trip. I was going to go backpacking around Guatemala for three weeks. And I had dinner with, with my friend. His name is Chris. And I told Chris, Hey, I haven't heard from the doctors. I guess that means we're not a match. And Chris says, "Yeah, I guess that's what I guess that's what it means." While I was in while I was in Guatemala, Chris has a doctor's appointment, mm-hmm. and he mentions at the end of his checkup. So my friend Ben, he uh, got tested to see if for a match, and he never heard back from the hospital. So I guess that means that he's on a match, right? And the doctor says, "Yes, that's that's what it means." So let me just look, and <laughs> the doctor opens up the file, says, "Oh, okay, yeah, you guys are a match." <laughs> <laughs> And so you can imagine how uh, how alarmed Chris was. Right, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, they didn't just tell him um, or, or me. So I, I got back from Guatemala, um, I think, at, like, January 1st. And then January 3rd, I get a call from Chris and says, hey, did you have fun over there? And uh, and then that's when he told me that, that we were a match. And, and, um, and so I had to go and I had to do more tests. And I actually had to be interviewed by a social worker because they have to – they have to make sure that you're not getting any monetary compensation mm-hmm. for this or that you're not being pressured into doing this. Um, and so once all of that, once I got through all of that, um, it was just, it, you know, and I never had any second thoughts about it. For me, it was mentally, uh, it, it, it worked like this. I felt that, you know, I'm blessed uh, with, with, with decent health. Um, and I have two kidneys. Uh, my friend needs one and I can survive on one and mm-hmm. be fine. And so let's, let's, Let's do this. Um, but it wasn't really there was there was never really deep thought about it, and I and I think that sometimes it disappoints people when I'm talking about it, and they you know they expect me to go through some I, I don't know some like spiritual like I, there was nothing. It was just okay. Yeah, uh, I have two of these. I can I'm fine with one. Uh, let's do this. This falls under the category like humans of New York. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's like, and you're talking about it's, it's not for spiritual. You're, it sounds like you made almost like it's just a practical decision. It's like, I have two, you need one. I can live with one. Let's make this happen. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that was it. And, you know, um, the more I think about this book and I have thought a lot about this uh, since and looking back at what happened, uh, it changed. I mean, I, I, when I, when I made the decision to do it and when I went through with it, um, I didn't have anything planned in terms of, um, taking on a new sport or, or taking on a new lifestyle. Right before I went under the knife, I said, I, I did understand. So I have one kidney and I'm going to have to really take care of it and, and be a little bit more active. And mm-hmm. some friends approached me and they said, Hey, we're thinking about doing this, this, this 
obstacle course mud run called Tough Mudder. Uh, do you want to do it? And so I said, sure, uh, let's sign up for one. So I signed up for it before I went under the knife. Did you tell um, the doctors I, about that? Uh, no, <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I did not. Um, but it was just, um, you know, and, and when, when I think about this, uh, and Chris, Chris got a kidney for me. He's still alive. Um, and he's doing a lot better. Um, since, uh, but I got so much out of, um, out of doing this, um, in terms of getting into the sport of running, um, and, and discovering this other side of myself that I never explored before. And I kind of think that, uh, sometimes I wonder, you know, who, who got the better part of, uh, the exchange here. So I, um, it is definitely a decision I, I don't regret, um, and it's not something that I think that I understood uh, or that I could predict uh, what the outcome would be for me. And, and that's amazing because it led you to something else and that you find joy in now, and this is running. And did did they say, like, it would have any effect on your running? Has it has it had any effect? Do you have to do anything differently? Do you have to, you know, anything like in preparation or training or like hydration, foods, nutrition, anything like that? Yeah, um, you know, honestly, I, 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 like, I don't know because I wasn't a runner before mm-hmm. uh, when I had two kidneys. I don't know uh, what it would be, uh, what it was like, what it would have been like to run with two kidneys versus one. Um, I don't think there's been much of a change. Um, so just to put it uh, in a little bit of perspective, I was in my late 20s, um, almost 30 when I decided to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and the only difference I think between uh, that I've noticed between me and other runners, and this is because of the... Uh, the ultra races is, um, and this is um, something that ultra runners do. That's actually um, not really the healthiest thing. Uh, a lot of runners uh, will take a lot of uh, painkillers preemptively before the, the mm-hmm. ultra. Yeah. So a lot of Tylenol, uh, ibuprofen. Uh, it just, um, I guess, in anticipation of all the pain, um, and that's not the not the best thing to do for your kidneys. Um, so. Um, I stay away from painkillers um, mm-hmm. before, during, even after races, um, and that's really, I think, the the, the biggest difference uh, between me and somebody else that has two kidneys. Right. Yeah. You're you're not you're not packing away the ibuprofen uh, at the aid stations and loading up. So so therefore so so then I mean this was a life changing experience for you that got you into running and then just. Do you, it was just like a natural progression. Then you just kept going into ultras. And what what did you find about the ultras that attracted you to the distance? Um, so I guess this this is where um, I earn uh, or I talk about the genesis of, of uh, being the unofficial founder of uh, taking bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't. I'm not sure how natural this progression was. Um, so I. Uh, donated my kidney in 2012. I did, uh, I did Tough Mudder in, in, at the end of 2012. I think it was October, November when I did my first event. Uh, and it was back then, the course was 13 miles. It's like 25 obstacles. And my friends and I are, are having a lot of fun. We're just kind of, uh, you know, uh, making our way through. And then around the midway point, we start talking to this couple that's, uh, they're at least 20 years older than us. Um, and they're like, wow, this is really, really hard. And then we say, yeah. And then they say, yeah, we, we, we've been out here forever. We started at, um, we started at noon. And then, uh, they looked at us and they said to me, what, what time did you guys start? And 
I told him we we got here at nine. So, <laughs> so, so, they, so 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 they so that's when I think we as a group started to think, yeah, you know what? We're having a lot of fun doing this. Let's train for the next one. <laughs> and so it was actually after I did Tough Mudder that that's when we did that. That's when I started to run regularly. And it was, even then, it was just kind of running to to get in shape for obstacle course races, and then. The switch, the change, the progression happened at the end, uh, September of 2013, when I did my first uh, Ragnar relay. Uh, this was up in Adirondacks, and uh, my friend just happened to have an, uh, an extra slot. Um, and so I uh, I ran with the team, and in the course of the weekend, I ran almost a, a, a marathon, if you added up all my legs together, mm-hmm. so my friend did you might as well run a real marathon. And so we both signed up to run uh, Los Angeles in 2014. Uh, and so uh, then I ran my first marathon in 2014. And, and I I like the experience so much that I ran three more marathons that calendar year. Uh, so I did four marathons uh, during my first year doing marathons. Um, and I should say that at this point, I had never run a half marathon before. Oh. So I went straight mm-hmm. from running like five and 10K right. uh, to running a marathon. <laughs> And so I think I think the progression for me of why I switched to ultras was maybe hubris, but I was just so <laughs> so full of myself that I thought, yeah, I I can do an ultra and and so this uh, I signed up for a Bear Mountain fifty miler. I didn't sign up for a fifty K, I signed up for a fifty miler. And uh, this was two thousand fifteen. I attempted my first ultra at Bear Mountain and I DNF because um totally, totally under train. Totally uh, didn't, uh, wasn't trained, wasn't ready for those bounds. Um, I heard I that one is a tough one. Lara was even mentioned because I told her that would be, that was going to be my first 50 miler. And she's like, oh, you're in for a doozy. So you, you have this, <laughs> like, you have this kind of like, just go big mentality of like, not even, it's like, hey, just go. Yeah. And I, I remember looking at the registration uh, at, at the time. And I remember my friend signed up for the 50K and then I looked at the registration and I think I, I, what, I, what it was was uh, I looked and I said, well, it only costs a little bit more to do the 50 miler. So I'm getting a better deal if I sign up for the 50 miler. And that's, that's why I signed up for the 50 miler, not paying attention to the more aggressive uh, cutoff in terms of pace. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was a really bad decision. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I paid for it. Yeah. So, so one of the things when, when, uh, I asked the, our guests is talk about like the best race and your worst race. And one, one of them that you wrote as your best race though, was the bear mountain, uh, 50 K in 2017. So, yes. so you had, a, uh, you had a little bit of a redemption in bear mountain. Yes. Um, so and this, this is interesting. Uh, cause I know that, I know that a lot of, a lot, a lot of runners use that word, uh, redemption. I've had my share of being up, but I never, that's not my approach to, to racing. Uh, I never look at a race and say, I need to go and redeem myself because I had a bad race or I had a bad tie. Um, I think that each each race is uh, each race is its own story, um, and there are races where there's a part two and a part three or whatever. But um, I try not to carry that um, that negativity uh, with me uh, so much. Uh, in terms of you know, I had a bad race, and it happens to everybody. Uh, you run you run long enough, you're going to have bad races, um, and. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna mourn or get angry and get frustrated and, and I'm just gonna leave it there. I'm not gonna mm-hmm. 
I'm not going to carry it around with me. And I know that some people use it as fuel to, to train harder, yeah. and, and I respect that. But that's not what I do. So I never think of it as, oh, this is redemption. Um, but I but I stuck with that now, and then I decided next, the next year, okay, I'm going to do the 50K. Um, and uh, so 2016, I did the 50K, and, and that was fun. So the reason why 2017 uh, was, I just said, my best race, because it rained the whole time. It stormed. Uh, it was it was storming when we started the race at like five or seven o'clock in the morning. Nothing yeah, like a good just, storm in the mountains. And if you've been up in Bear Mountain, it's it's technical because a, a big difference between East Coast and West Coast uh, trail ma- trail running is we have a lot of rocks. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, we right. have, like, we, we might not be, have as much elevation, but we have a lot of ups and downs, but we have a lot of rocks, which can be really treacherous. Right. Right. And, and, um, and that, and so Bear Mountain is usually at the beginning of May. So the weather is kind of like in this in-between point where it's, it's not quite spring yet. So it's still a little bit cold, especially at the beginning of the race. Um, and that, and I showed up to run that race in my regular, um, you know, just uh, my regular leopard print short shorts and my hydration pack. Which uh, we're going to talk more decision. about. Yes, we're going to talk more about that yeah, in a minute. But, yeah. Yeah. And that was a bad decision because I didn't take into <laughs> account that the rain uh, would cause uh, the the, um, the hydration vest to, to chase. <laughs> oh. a lot of... <laughs> there was a lot of there was a lot of chasing uh, in that race, uh, and I just remember uh, that the people around me, uh, that the other runners that I, that I start out with, uh, they were just they, I think because of the conditions, it was just they just they were in a bad place. Uh, people were just yelling at nobody in particular, cursing <laughs> at the rain, and, and I, I just remember feeling guilty because I was having a great time. I wasn't cold because uh, I I was I trained uh, to. Uh, the point where my body is uh, just acclimated uh, and ready, uh, and I know what my limit is. And I was going really slow and just taking everything in. And uh, and I just had such a great time being out there and playing in the mud and the rain and the rocks. Um, and I just was able, I think, to stay positive the entire time, even when it got really hard, even in the places you know where um, I got really tired and it was a struggle. But I never, for once, thought about stopping and I never really went to that uh, those really dark places um, that we sometimes get to during ultras uh, so that's one of my favorite experiences getting through that race it's a changing your perspective and one of the things I always say is you know when people are training and somebody might say, oh, it's raining and I really not into it. It's like, no, I want to be out in the rain. And because what happens on race day, if it's raining, right. you're, you're accustomed to it and you can actually begin to enjoy it. When I, I love a good right. light rain or even if it's hot out and you have that downpour, not that like the pins and needles downpour. It's like the big raindrops where it's just really comforting and you're wet, you right. know, it, you're wet. It doesn't matter. And then, then you go like, yeah, I just did that. And so when it comes to race day and you get those, you get hit with those conditions, you're like, Oh, I got this. This is fun. Let's, let's play in the mud. Let's play. Let's be seven years old again. And this is all the stuff that our parents would yell at us not to do. Don't go run over the rocks and in the mud through the woods, it's raining out. So we're, we're kind of rebellious in the fact that we get to do this for fun now or pay to, or even pay to do something like this. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about your running gear. 
uh, pretty much it's a pair of, uh, it's a pair of shoes, socks, and what's the rest of your running gear? Uh, Generally, it's just uh, it's just a pair of shorts. A really, a really, uh, really uh, short uh, leopard print shorts. Uh, that's 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 what I'm comfortable in. This now, this is my race day outfit. Um, when I'm training, I'll put on a pair of regular shorts. Um, but yeah, I I um, I just really like the way the air feels against my skin when I'm moving, mm-hmm. uh, especially on a really crisp fall fall day or night. Um, and oh, yeah. I think it, it just the way just the way it hits and it, it feels invigorating to me. Um, and it also means that I have less laundry to do afterwards, <laughs> um, which is a big plus. Um, so yeah, I think and and I think that I, I generally run hot. Uh, so the less things I'm wearing, uh, the, the more quickly my sweat is evaporating, the better. And I think that this is. Um, I think that that's one of my advantages is when I run in the rain, if I'm only wearing a pair of shorts, when the rain hits, it's not, it's not getting, I'm not getting soaked. Um, mm-hmm. It's getting on right. my skin, but it's evaporating and it has somewhere to go. Whereas somebody else is, if they're wearing, uh, if they're wearing clothes, their, their clothes are going to absorb the rain and they're going to be carrying that for however long they're running. So. Yeah. And, and uh, our listeners, many listeners that are in the New York area, when you just said, Oh, I wear the leopard print shorts. Every a lot of yeah. them just went. Oh, it's that guy, because <laughs> we, because <laughs> you are at so many races, and we. I've, I mean, I saw you around for years, and it's always like, hey, there's that guy again. And you talk about being acclimated because I know I've seen you out there in those shorts, and it was probably Washington Heights, uh, the five uh, k, maybe well, like a couple of years ago. It was like twenty degrees or fifteen degrees, and you were out there in shorts. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, talk about how, how do you, I mean, it's cold, no matter what it, you know, how acclimated you can be, you're still are cold. Is it that you just are more immune to the cold? Have you built like, how do how does that your body react in that sense? Um, so I don't think it's that I don't feel the cold because I definitely feel the cold. I know it's, I, I know, I know it's there. It's hitting my skin. Um, uh, and it, it, I, I, the sensation of the cold is there. I think what it is is uh, that I've lived and, and run in enough that um, I've trained my, 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 my body and my mind really not to panic when it gets cold. Um, and it's just from, just from just understanding myself that once I start running, I'm going to get warm. I'm mm-hmm. going to get really warm. Um, and some people, I think the, the, the rule that the most runners go by is that you, you'll, you'll get 20 degrees warmer than the air temperature is when you start running. Um, and I, and that's definitely true for me. Once, once I start running, um, I, I start to get warm. And so it's just, I think getting my mind in a place where, okay, uh, it is cold. It is, uh, it is, you know, 20, 20 something degrees, 30 something degrees. Um, but you, but you'll be okay. You're not going to die. Um, and as long as, um, as long as you keep on moving, you, you'll be fine. Um, and once, once you start moving, once you start getting warm, it's not something that, that goes away fast. You're going to get warmer and you're going to stay warm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's just, um, I think, um, getting my mind into that place where it's calm, uh, where it's kind of getting myself into the zone, uh, where, um, it's comfortable even just, okay, wow, this, it, this is cold and it feels cold. Um, but it's, it's fine. It's healthy. My body's alive. It feels good. I can't wait to run and I'm going to do this. Um, and yeah, I mean, 
I, it, it is funny when I, you know, sometimes I even try to, um, when I do, when I do a race, I'll try to like not be seen, uh, because I find that when I show up early, um, and this happened at Washington Heights. One time I got the kids race mixed up with the, with the regular race. So I showed up like an hour early oh. for the kids race. And I'm like in my shorts and I'm like, Oh, I better go inside because it's cold. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm not going to run for an hour. Um, and, but then people will ask that. I get asked a million times, aren't you cold? Aren't you cold? And I'm like, well, no, of course, no, yeah. fine. Yeah. It's, it, and it's invigorating. And, and that, like for me, I, I'm the person that gets in the shower, then turns on the water. So I'm about, right. I'm about like, give me that cold blast. That's what wakes me up. And, I, and then I'll alternate back and forth to the cold settings, but it takes that 30 seconds or even up to 60 seconds to get your breathing back to normal, which that, that's more of a shock, but still mm-hmm. it's invigorating and it's still cold that there's no denying that it is cold, but it's just how you adapt it and your mindset into that, into that point. So, you know, what, what are the thing, I mean, yeah, have, have you been like cat called or have you, have you had, I know you mentioned something about an incident that you had, uh, because you're wearing these, you know, tight shorts. And this is something that's <laughs> on men on, on for men. And, but a lot of women have to deal with this issue. So I, I think it's something really important that we should uh, touch upon. So tell us the story that you had. Um, right. So, so this happened to me, uh, at the uh, New York city marathon last, last November, uh, I was, uh, running, um, I ran the, the first few miles and then, um, I bumped into, uh, my friend, Alan Kaufman, who's an Achilles athlete, um, battling, uh, brain cancer. Um, and I had known him, um, through social media. Um, but, um, I, this is my first time encountering him in person. Uh, so this is great. We just happened to be at the, at the course with 50,000 other runners and I see him. So, so I decided to, 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 uh, to, to do the rest of the race with him, uh, because I want to, to talk to him and get to know him better. Um, so, um, around the time that we are getting onto the, uh, on the 59th Street Bridge, uh, Queensboro Bridge, um, I'm with Alan and uh, I'm running on his, um, on his right side. Um, and, and he was, um, using, uh, and he, and he was walking the whole thing. Um, and so we're just kind of, uh, and there were two other guys there and we're just kind of making sure that, that he's doing well and kind of keeping him from getting run over by, by the other runners. And, uh, comes up behind me and I, and all of a sudden I feel his hand, um, just like really in, in, on, on my, on my backside and just not like on my backside, like, and just in my backside. Mm-hmm. And I look up and there's a guy and he just, uh, he, uh, mumbled something that's really sounded like, uh, uh, keep going. And, and then he just keeps on running and, and it happened so fast. Um, uh, and then it took me a second to realize, Oh, I just got groped by a stranger. Uh, at the New York City Marathon, and I was still—I didn't—I didn't say anything. I didn't react um, because uh, it's—if you ever run uh, on the uh, Queensboro Bridge, it's so silent at that part of the race because there aren't any pedestrians, there aren't any spectators. It's just the runners, and you just hear everybody's feet. And and it wasn't until we got off the bridge, and one of the guys who had been walking behind me said, "So how do you?" 
how do you feel about, you know, when people come up to you and touch you? And then, and I was like, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm generally okay if people just, you know, kind of just kind of want to high five me or tie me, but I, I just got groped. And she, and she said, yeah, I saw that. Uh, and, you know, I'm very thankful um, that she actually opened up that conversation. Uh, otherwise, I think I would have just kind of, I would have just internalized the whole thing. And it just really helped. Um, having her acknowledge uh, that she saw what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it wasn't just this thing that happened in my mind. I like, did I just make this up? Am I, am I making too big of a deal of this? Uh, no, I got groped at the, uh, by, by some, by some guy um, at the marathon. And that was, I mean, and recently, uh, was it a month ago, you have that story of during the, marathon in Florida and it was uh, a newswoman live on television. The guy lines up, <laughs> runs behind her, smacks her on the, her behind right on live TV. So first, first and foremost, it's people just need to keep their hands to themselves. And you know, the second is like what you experienced is something that women have experienced. I don't, I don't need, I can't even fathom how often something like that happens or, you know, being stalked or being like, you know, cat called and things like that. And for us as runners, we're all together and we're not running in tight clothes that can just double as underwear, uh, for anybody else, except for us, except for it's comfortable. And I, and I think like when we're all running together, we're a little bit desensitized to this type of clothing because this is kind of our normal outfits. But like for you, you, you say, this is your expression. This is your form of freedom. This is how you enjoy running. And again, it's whether man, woman, whatever, it, it's, it's a very important area that people just need to realize, just keep your hands to yourself. Yeah, I think, um, I think we should all assume that when we see somebody, uh, whether they're running or, or not running, uh, that that person, that they, the way that they dress is for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I, just, I dress the way I dress because I'm comfortable in this. Uh, and I'm doing it for myself. I'm not doing it to get int- attention. There's no ulterior motive. And, I'm, and, and especially if I'm running, I'm, I'm dressed to run. And, and yeah, I, I do, I realize that, that for women, it's, it's even worse because, um, they don't have to be wearing the, the short shorts. They could be wearing anything. Um, and they will get that unwanted attention, whether it's from, uh, somebody that's just uh, walking out of the street or even another runner. I think sometimes, um, and it's just, I think we should all assume that people are dressed not for you, but for for themselves. And yes, uh, and they're not, it's not a call for attention. It's not an invitation. They're doing it for themselves. I agree 1000%. I couldn't have said that better. So let's talk about in the time that we have left here, a few things. I know one of the topics you wrote is like the dumb things I've done. Let's talk about the stories about like the things that had happened to you during your trail marathon. I know you had a story at the Vegas obstacle course. You can share right. all of them. So what, what, where do you want to, where do you want to begin? Okay. So let's, let's talk about my second marathon. Mm-hmm. So my first marathon was LA. I decided I want to run in a marathon and uh, so I ran the Beat the Blurch Marathon that's out in uh, Carnation, uh, Washington, which is beautiful. Uh, if you ever, I recommend that that marathon. Uh, but this was my second marathon, my first trail marathon ever, and I made so many, so many stupid bad decisions with that with that race. So the first bad decision I made that morning, uh, when I get to the start line early and I'm thinking about, it, I said, you know what? 
I'm going to run this by feel. I'm not going to wear my watch. And so I take my, uh, my running watch off and I put, I put it in my bag. And when the race starts, I just go and, and I'm feeling strong and I'm running. And so this, this, this is my second marathon, right? And eventually, uh, around the halfway point or maybe around like a little bit before the halfway point, I see another runner and I turn to him and so I ask him, how fast are we going? And he tells me, and then I realized, like, oh, I've never run this fast in my life. <laughs> so, like, that was my first warning that the second half of this marathon was going to be bad. It's not going to go um, well. Oh, no, no. So, so I get alarmed. And then uh, at about the halfway point, or maybe a little bit past, there's a woman that's, um, that's handing out little shots of beer on the course. So I decided, hey, why not? Uh, so I took a shot of beer and that completely trashed my stomach. <laughs> and so and so this isn't like a New York Roadrunners race, right? You're running a trail marathon, you're in a forest, and there's no porta potties. Uh, but luckily you're surrounded by trees and nature. So I decided, okay, I have to go to the bathroom. I'm just gonna go over there. And so um so I, I pull off course and I jump into the woods. And I do my business. And right when I'm almost done, that's uh, when I realized, like, oh, I just squatted into a thorn bush. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. So I'm cleaning myself up. And there's there's little thorns stuck in my my thighs and my calves. (laughs) I'm just a mess. So I clean myself up. I come stumbling out of the woods, right? And I must have looked like I've got attacked by a rodent or something because there's like blood on my legs. <laughs> and, and yeah, I just, I just, oh man, it was, and, uh, ironically enough, that's still my marathon, um, PR. It's still the best marathon, the fastest marathon I've ever run. Um, and it's probably because I was uh, at least fueled a little bit by embarrassment. Uh, but man, the second half, that was rough. Um, there was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, slow walking and, and jogging, uh, because my legs were trash mm-hmm. at that point. Um, so that was, uh, I learned a lot. Which is worse, chafing or thorn bush? <laughs> right, right, right. Probably. Probably the thorn bush because everybody chafes. Uh, but yeah, when when you finish a race and people are like, "What? What happened to your leg?" <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, so that was uh, so that was yeah, so that, that was pretty bad. And then the, the probably the, so the second stupidest thing I ever did um, was, um, and this is a situation that happened in 2015 at World Toughest Mudder, which is a 24-hour obstacle course race in Vegas. Uh, I had done the 2014 version. So uh, I did my first 24-hour race uh, two weeks after the first, after running uh, my fourth marathon uh, in 2014. I decided to go and do a 24-hour race, which is a terrible decision. Um, and I think also, uh, just backtracking for a little bit, the dumb decision I made in 2014 was thinking, oh, you know what? This is Vegas. It's warm. Mm-hmm. I don't need a tent. I'm just going to be out there for 24 hours. I'm going to move for 24 hours. So I'm not even going to bring a tent because I don't want to be tempted to stop. Uh, so that's not how deserts uh, work. No, no. <laughs> At around uh, midnight, uh, we're out in desert and we get hit by a sandstorm. Um, and even the race organizers weren't ready for this. So they're like 
pieces of obstacles getting blown away in the sandstorm. And at about three o'clock in the morning, I'm huddled in the med tent uh, with, uh, with some other people because we decided we all fooled, uh, we were all fooled that didn't bring tents and we had nowhere to go and we were tired and we need to warm up. And so that, that, that was, that was the lesson I learned that year, bring a tent. Uh, so I go back the next year and this time they pushed the start time down to, I think it was like one or two o'clock, right? And I understand now that it's going to get cold. So I bought a tent. And I have my tent there, and we start the race. And so the way it works is that the course is only about five miles. And you run, a loop, you run as many loops as you can. You could stop and go into your tent anytime you want. Um, and so I run my first loop, and I think, okay, I'm doing well. And I'm running in just my short shorts and, and the uh, race day. And I think I could get another lap before the sun goes down. Um, and that was stupid because by then the sun had already started to set. And I was thinking, ah, I can I can beat the sun. And the first lap, the obstacles weren't open yet, and they started opening everything. And a lot of the obstacles involved cold water. <laughs> Did you have to so do after, the, that thirty foot uh, jump from the ledge? That that didn't open until midnight. Okay, uh, thankfully. Um, so I am so I am at this particular obstacle where, um, and this is by now the sun had completely set. And there's an obstacle where you had to walk into water that was about up to your up to your waist, and then you had to climb up a rope and um, get into a pipe. And it was really it was a really tough obstacle. Um, and so a lot, what was happening was it, there was a backlog, so there was kind of a bottleneck. So what would happen is people would struggle, and the other people would just stand in the water, and they would get hypothermia from standing in the water. So. I'm standing there in my in my shorts, thinking, "Oh, this is not good." <laughs> of course, um, one of the medics comes up to me and sees me shivering and says, "I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a minute. If you can't stop shivering, I'm going to pull you from this race." <laughs> and that's when I went mentally deep into that place and I said, "Okay, uh, I need to stop shivering." Yeah. And I just kept on just warm up, and uh, somehow I was able to get myself to stop shivering. Uh, and then eventually I figured out how to get up the rope into the pipe and I was able to continue that. This is about the halfway point. There were still like all these cold water obstacles that to like swim in cold water, call through cold water. And when I, by the time I got back to my tent, my wife, um, who was cooling for me, she just looked at me. <laughs> so she put me in my wetsuit, uh, and then she sat on me for about <laughs> 20 minutes to get me warm. And uh, thank, thankfully, and she, cause I just wanted to get up my wetsuit out and get back out there. Right. But she made me wait. And, uh, yeah. And that was definitely when I had the existential crisis of like, what am I doing here? Like, this is so stupid. <laughs> what am I doing that that's when you need the, the, the teammate, the wife to make the wise decisions for you. Yeah, 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 definitely. So Ben, this is this has been great. I I could listen for hours for more stories, but we are going to have to wrap it up. Uh, okay. And you know, hopefully, we'll get to do this another time, and hopefully, soon we'll be out on the trails together. I know uh, you signed up for the witch race. It was the one in Philly in May. Oh, that's the uh, Dirty German Endurance Festival. Yeah, I signed up the 50 mile race right i'm i'm gonna sign up for the 50 miler as well so i will definitely see you there but before we go any parting words you'd like to share with our listeners um i think uh i think uh one of the things that i want everybody to know is that uh i think running is kind of like 
it's that you get a lot of advice about running. Do this, do that, do that. But I think running is kind of like an art form. There are certain basic rules, but once you learn the basics and the fundamentals, you do what you want with it. It's it's a way of expressing yourself. Um, and uh, whatever you do, um, just have fun with it and enjoy it and, and just enjoy every every moment of it and try to be present uh, the whole time and uh, watch out for those thorn bushes. <laughs> and we'll leave it at that. Ben, thank you so much. It was a pleasure speaking with you. And again, hope to see you out there soon. So we'll pick this up another time. Thank you so much again. Yeah, thank you. All right. Cheers. That's it for this week. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and feel free to share with your fellow runners. If you'd like to be a guest on our program, you can apply on our website, storiesfromtherun.com. Because every runner has a story, we'd like to hear yours. Until next time, may the rain stay in Spain and the wind be at your backs. Peace.